Um, so I'm delighted now to introduce our speaker this morning. Through August, we've been doing um, a series on the book of Jonah, one of the books in the Old Testament. Um, and we have got to the fourth week of that series and the fourth and final book of Jonah. And our uh, speaker this morning is Lizzie Milne. Um, I have the great pleasure of working with Lizzie. I've been working with Lizzie for a few years now. She's responsible um, for the youth here at St. Peter's. So if you are a youth or have been a youth or know a youth, then Lizzie will have looked after you and been part of that youth ministry here on a Sunday, but also on a Friday. But she's also been involved in um, youth outreach in schools around the city as well. And I'm so pleased that Lizzie is going to be speaking to us this morning. Thank you. everyone. Let me just set myself up. One second. Oh, how are you all doing? Doing all right? Yeah, doing good. Um, I'd love to ask you a, a question um, to get you reflecting. Um, have you ever felt that you have perhaps become distracted or lost sight of a bigger purpose, of your bigger purpose? And um, perhaps you've been wrapped up in work dynamics and have forgotten to celebrate successes. Um, or perhaps you were after a particular grade in some results recently received and actually, um, again, didn't take a moment to celebrate all the work that you'd put in um, over the last few years. Maybe you see this in your relationships, in your family, um, in all different spheres of life. And maybe you notice it in small things um, but you also might notice it or you really can't kind of not notice it because of the um, grand scale, it's life-altering importance. And so reflect on that for a moment as um, we begin to dig into the word. And so the story so far sees um, Prophet Jonah, kind of special Christian worker, um, be sent on mission to Nineveh, a place that has bred destruction and terror. And Jonah thinks, no thanks, Lord, I'm heading elsewhere. En route via boat, a storm forces him to surrender himself due to his disobedience to make sure that the others on board are saved. And in doing that, he um, gets swallowed by a big fish um, and then spat out on the shore of Nineveh, where he was meant to end up, and then finally follows God's orders to preach the word to Nineveh and actually sees people repent and turn to the Lord. And this is where we pick up, although interestingly, if we um, look at this through the lens of storytelling, really the story is finished, isn't it? We've got our mission, God tells Jonah to go, Jonah sets off on his quest with some troubles along the way, and then a new equilibrium is reached in chapter 3. We could so easily finish there. It's kind of the story's wrapped up. But there is a whole other chapter that we can pay attention to. And so we pick up um, having had God show his mercy and grace to the Ninevites after repenting to him. So Jonah 4 should appear on the screen so you can read along. Or there's um, uh, Bibles on the pillars if you'd like to hard copy. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, 
a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, it is, right for, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat at a place east of the city. There he had made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what, the, uh, waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it, tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Um, so we launch into this rich dialogue between a seemingly stroppy, very stroppy Jonah and the Lord. Jonah is fine with God being kind and gracious at times. We've seen that previously. We've seen that in his own journey. But why is there frustration this time? It is because God is forgiving those people. As I read this passage, um, someone living in our modern world, Western view, and somewhat disconnected from this exact experience, um, I read this chuckling at Jonah's dramatics. It is better for me to die than to live and get upset over the tree. But when we pay attention to the mission that God has given him, we might begin to understand him a little more. See, as Alex mentioned last week and James a few weeks ago, um, Jonah is sent to the people um, who cause great, destructions, destru great destruction. They are like terrorists who have committed all sorts of awful things against Jonah's people. And so he is disturbed to be part of their repentance and transformation journey. What we actually have here is a raw and highly emotional dialogue between Jonah and God, with Jonah expressing his humanness and God expressing his greater vision. However, we are still outside the city, under the worm-eaten tree, frustrated at God and his heart for this situation. As a prophet, it is Jonah's whole life's work to see people repent and turn to God. But these people, the people of Nineveh, not these people. We've seen Jonah previously set out on mission to controversial people before, but these people are just not worthy of mercy and grace. Through Jonah's moment of obedience in chapter 3, we see widespread revival. We see a spiritually ignorant city experience a revelation of who God is and turn to him. Jonah's mission is a complete success. 
albeit with a few twists and turns. Surely he should be celebrating that the Lord even involved him in this mission at all. I wonder how often we can relate to Jonah's perhaps misplaced response because of his humanness. Um, I was reflecting back on uh, times where my misaligned motives may have uh, led to an unexpected response. Part of what I uh, have the opportunity to um, do here uh, at St. Peter's is recognizing leadership potential in uh, different members, different young people, um, and kind of putting opportunities in their way to begin to develop in that, to encourage them to develop. Especially, yeah, especially amongst the teenagers, um, and we have seen some incredible young people grow up through this church and go on to do incredible things all over the world. And there's a couple times I particularly uh, remember recognizing this potential in people, and I'd very generously take them for a coffee or a walk, and we'd um, chat about um, their next steps or what they're thinking about, and um, perhaps they've been excellent on a, a team that I've been part of, and we just we begin chatting a little bit about what, what's next for you. And sometimes I would suggest that um, they might join us on our LDY year, which was our leadership development year. And um, we used to run this, and it would help uh, give an opportunity to um, train young leaders and explore their sense of calling within a church context. And months later, you better believe it, uh, they'd be signed up and ready to go a whole year, uh, ready to give a whole year to learn theology, develop themselves, as well as give so much back to the St. Peter's and Brighton community. And there was one particular time I remember someone asking one of these people, how did you decide to go for LDY? Who initially chatted to you about it? And I was sat waiting, waiting patiently for my humble win to be broadcast to the senior team, to fellow colleagues. And they replied, Hannah Milne. <laughs> Hannah Milne chatted for me and I decided to go for it. Lies! <laughs> no, I chatted to you. I wanted that high praise of recognizing potential and encouraging the best out of you. Not only is this not true, but actually Hannah now gets all of the approval from those around. And that, uh, ultimately, that young leader was and is excellent. As a team, we collectively uh, recognize some gifts in this person, and um, the appointment was really good, the, them going for it. And ha Hannah probably did actually have a really good conversation with this um, person to help them see how this LDY might play out for them. And I just had to sit with um, what was being brought up in me. Every uh, desire for people to know just how amazing I am had to be confronted with God asking me, who are you doing this for? The story of Jonah is a helpful challenge to us all. The um, American author Simon Sinek highlighted the power of paying attention to your why with the golden circle and gives us a framework for unpacking some of what is going on with Jonah and us. And the golden circle consists of three, thing, uh, three rings, what, how, and why. And we all know what we do in Jonah's case. 
he is told to go to Nineveh and do the Lord's work. Some of us know how we do what we do. In Jonah's case, it is go to Nineveh, um, preach, preach to the Ninevites and do the Lord's work. That's the how, preach. But often, as Cynic notes, our why can be fuzzy. And this is where we land with misaligned expectations and disappointment from Jonah. It's when Jonah's why has gone awry. I wrote that, I didn't mean it to rhyme, but it rhymes. Jonah's why has gone awry. Um, Jonah's why has become convoluted amongst his theology, his own desires and expectations of what justice and mercy looks like. Jonah knows God's character. He literally, in his fury, says, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He knows that God may have responded in this way to the sin of the Ninevites. But clearly, Jonah wanted less love, less grace, and more calamity to be sent towards the Ninevites. Jonah has this juxtaposing thought process of knowing God's true character, but thinking this response cannot be right. Jonah's why is perhaps made up of a mixture of drivers that we may recognize in our own lives. There might be a touch of man's approval. Do they not see what I've been doing? Do they not see how much I love God? Perhaps a dash of pride and self-righteousness. I'm not as broken as them. With a topping of a desire for control. I know what I'm doing. I'm fine. I don't need help. And ultimately, it comes from loving ourselves more than loving our neighbor, an often accidental disobedience or neglect to God's loving call on our lives. Whereas God's why, as we see throughout scripture, is to see people saved, released from sin, and know that they are loved and forgiven. These different motives lead to highly different responses at the final outcome of this journey. And God and Jonah have this fascinating uh, repetitive dialogue over the response of um, God's, God to the Ninevites, but also to the tree which God gives and takes away. At first glance, this choice to give a tree and take it away feels quite antagonizing it, it, from my perspective. God, like, God, that doesn't feel like, the, doesn't that feel kind of counterproductive to a good conflict resolution? But there is no real conflict here. God is the almighty, powerful God who showed grace and mercy on every step of Jonah's turning and hiding from him. Jonah, God doesn't give up on Jonah and doesn't become absent. Both times, Jonah expresses his anger towards him, towards the Lord, and highlights how he would be better off dead than live in this situation. And God simply responds both times with, is it right for you to be angry? It draws us out to a bigger picture. Where is this anger coming from? 
the anger about the Ninevites held next to the anger about the tree highlights the small thinking that we can get caught up in when we lose sight of what is ultimately good. So where does thus this leave us? Well, the story of Jonah leaves us on a cliffhanger. We don't know how Jonah ultimately decides to respond. But this story parallels another story that Jesus later shares in the Bible, in Luke 15, which may give us some answers. In the story of the prodigal son, we are met with two brothers. The younger brother who asks his father for his inheritance early and goes off to party and spending on frivolous living and hits a rock bottom, finds himself eating the pig feed given for the animals he is looking after, and decides to head home ready for the wrath of his father, feeling guilty knowing he spent his inheritance foolishly. However, on his arrival home, he is greeted with the father running towards him with open arms, embracing him and immediately throwing a party in his honor due to his return. The older brother, however, struggles with this grace and mercy. Reading from The Prodigal God by uh, the late pastor Timothy Keller, it reads, When the elder brother hears from the servants that his younger brother now has returned and been reinstated by his father, he is furious. Now it is his turn to disgrace, disgrace the father. He refuses to go in to what is perhaps the biggest feast and public event that his father has ever put on. He remains outside the door, publicly casting a vote of no confidence in his father's actions. He later writes, Why is the older son so furious? He, especially, he is especially upset about the cost of all that is happening. He says, You've never even given, a goat, uh, given me a goat for a party. How dare you give him the calf? The fattened calf is only a symbol, however, because what the father has done costs far more than the calf. By bringing the younger, back into the, uh, the younger brother back into the family, he has made him an heir again, with claim to one-third of their family wealth. This is unconscionable, unconscionable to the elder brother. He's adding things up. I've worked myself to death and earned what I've got, but my brother has done nothing to earn anything. Indeed, he's merited only expulsion, and yet you lavish him with wealth. Where's the justice in that? There's consistencies within these stories which relate to our broken human nature. Our want of man's approval, pride, self-righteousness, desire for control, and so much more. Whereas we are given a free will to choose obedience born out of love. Our what might be obedience, but our why is love. The redemption moment in this story that Jesus shares has the father representative of God in heaven affirm the eldest son in his position. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. There is no need for insecurity. The youngest son is not more loved. The youngest son is purely forgiven. The eldest son 
and Jonah need to recognize that the grace given to the Ninevites and the youngest son is the same grace that they and we experience time and time again. This is a reminder to each of us. We all experience the great love, great mercy, and great grace that Jesus dying on the cross has released to us. And as I wrap up and we prepare our hearts for receiving communion, I'd love to leave us reflecting on the question that I asked at the top. Have you ever felt like, and perhaps it's current, have you ever felt like you've become distracted or lost sight of your bigger purpose? <laughs>